Well, hello, all you wiggly worms out there. Welcome back to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about conservation, sustainability, and nature. I'm one of your hosts, Casey, and I'm joined by the wonderful Sarah. Once again, she's back from conquering 26 miles. It's good to be back. I missed you all last week. Shout out to you, Casey. Thanks for holding down the fort and to... Kristen, our friend, Cheetah fan extraordinaire. Thanks for jumping in and guest hosting for me. It was really fun. It was fun to listen to one that I hadn't participated in. So, um, and I always love to hear Kristen talk about Cheetah. So thanks for doing that, both of you. Yeah. And if you guys haven't had a chance to listen and you want to learn more about Cheetah conservation, uh, last week's episode was fun. So you should check it out. Sarah, I wanted to check in with you about last episode that you and I did together with our homework, right? What was it? It was, what is your state animals? Oh, well, thankfully I did that homework for the episode. You you built it into your episode. Um, Early on, I should say, because we're being in the episode, you're probably like, why does Casey sound weird? I don't have any idea where my microphone or headphones went, guys. So we're on good old computer audio. Yeah. So if you hear clicky clacking of my keyboard and things like that, I'm sorry, we're in a a lower quality audio today. Okay. And right now you're hearing the clicky clacky of my dog's nails on the ground because he is walking around. He always gets really confused at the beginning of a podcast episode because he's like who are you talking to there's no one here mom (laughs) so apologies for that as well but we're glad to be here talking to you yes homework from two weeks homework state animals of pennsylvania yes there are apparently a lot um the state bird i knew which is the ruffed grouse specifically because i've never seen a ruffed grouse in my entire life i was gonna ask its description is a brown chicken-like bird um so I don't know I feel like maybe there's some rough grouse fans out there but uh I feel like we can do better Pennsylvania maybe <laughs> um it's <laughs> it was an important part of the food supply for early settlers so that's where that comes from our state animal is a white-tailed deer which honestly when I was thinking what could our state animal possibly be that's kind of what it's, I landed on yeah and we have a state amphibian. We have the Eastern Hellbender as our oh, awesome. state amphibian. Yeah. Yay! That's a great one. If you guys don't know what a hellbender is, it's the largest salamander species in the Americas. And its species name is Alleghenyensis. And Allegheny is a region in Pennsylvania. So I'm very glad that it's Eastern Hellbender. And it's also an endangered species that we have right here. So this is one of those examples of trying to make something part of your your team identity mm-hmm. try and preserve it so they've got a little blurb here on the pa state website talking about how they the official title a state amphibian is meant to bring attention to efforts to preserve their habitats so cool yeah but we're not talking about uh state animals today right we're talking about something kind of completely different from last week yeah we're we're going more I guess this is the sustainability side of things. We're going to be talking about composting today, and I'm really excited to finally do this because composting is kind of going to be my thing 
for the year. If you've been a listener for a while, I've talked about this before. I try to just kind of pick a thing every year, some sort, whether it's a lifestyle change or a major, like a product, long-term product swap or something like that. I try to pick one thing that I can do in my life to kind of focus on. That's not to say that it's the only thing I'm going to do that year, but I just, it's just kind of the one thing that I've actively decided to do. And I've been thinking about composting for a long time. So I've decided 2022, this is the year I'm going to start. So what better way to hold myself accountable than by doing it on our podcast? So in light of that, Casey, my question for you tonight is, do you have any environmental resolutions? We didn't really do a, a New Year's episode, but we're, it's still January. Do you have any environmental resolutions or goals for the year? I tried to think about this a little bit. Um, really, my overall goal is Andrew and I just started house hunting. Mm-hmm. And so the hope is to be in a house of our own and from there then set up, sort of reestablish the green routines that we had for our lives when we last lived in our own home. So things like composting, trying to make sure we're really conscious about water use and food waste and things like that. But kind of that, that's a very nebulous one. So One of the other ones I have for myself is now that I don't work in the conservation field specifically, I want to make sure that I'm still keeping up on environmental news Mm -hmm. and what's going on. Because when you work in that world, you're just kind of like, it's there, it's in the ether around me. My coworker will tell me in the morning. Um, It's relevant to my job, but now I have to do kind of a special effort to seek out those news sources. So I'm going to try and read more things from... Yale E360 is one news source. Mm -hmm. Um, Manga Bay is a really excellent environmental news source. And then even just hitting the like science tab on Google News is another way. So that's really my two goals is to reestablish the things that I've done before, but have since had to fall out of because moving destroys your whole life. And then to try and keep up with what's going on in the environmental world. So those are my two. I like both of them. And I like that those are things I don't really do resolutions and I don't know exactly why this is different. I guess it's just more of a state of mind than anything, but I feel like some people, when they do new year's resolutions, they're like, okay, January 1st, like I'm starting this and I'm going to do this new thing. And then it's just a lot of pressure and letdown and all of that. And so that's why I do it with this sort of this year, here's the thing that's going to happen. And it's not necessarily going to happen right now, but this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to work towards. It just feels a little more achievable that way, I guess. And that's kind of how I feel about your, your things as well. It's not like a, here's a regimented thing that I'm going to implement right away, but it's like, here are my goals that I'm going to be working towards and things that I'm going to be focusing on. So I like that. Um, yeah. and yeah, good luck to you with your house hunting. Thank you. It's daunting. I do feel like, so, so 2020, I was like, I am going to every morning, wake up 20 minutes earlier than I normally do and stretch and do yoga. And that's going to be my new year's resolution. And two days later, <laughs> I did two days of that and was like, this is wonderful. And then was sleeping the third day and right. never did it again. 
now 2020 was of course a special year, but yeah. I, and I think that's another thing about doing this episode a couple weeks after new year's is like, Hey, we're going to be flexible about what it means to be a new year's resolution. And you can decide to be greener any time of year. So you don't have to wait for the new year to come back again before you start new habits. So hopefully you get into this one because it's one of my favorites and I can't wait to talk with you. about. I'm it. excited to talk to you about it as well. I do have to mention one more thing before we dive into composting because I've talked about it also on this podcast before. Another thing that just so happened to work out for me to do this year is I bought an electric lawnmower. If you, you listen to the podcast, you know, I hate mowing my lawn. But one of the things that we talked about in, in terms of being environmentally friendly is mowing your lawn less often, which I definitely do. And then also switching in your gas powered for an electric. So when I moved from Indiana, I decided to just leave my lawnmower for the, the folks moving in. I asked them, they wanted it. So I left that behind and picked myself out an electric one. I haven't used it yet, but it is sitting in the box in my garage ready to go. So that'll be thing number one for me for the year. And then at some point this year, composting will begin. And so we're going to talk all about that tonight. So stick around. All right. Welcome back everyone. So all about composting tonight, or at least composting 101. We're actually going to do another episode on composting, I think, in the next few weeks, because there is quite a lot out there. I've said that this is something that I've been thinking about doing for a long time. The reason that I've never started, I mean, there's a, there's a few reasons, but kind of encompassing the other reasons is the fact that it just really felt very overwhelming <laughs> to me. And every time I tried to look something up about composting or figure out how to do it, I just got immediately overwhelmed and sort of shut down and decided that it wasn't something that I kind of had the time and the energy to do. I will say that researching for this episode initially at least did not help as much as I was hoping it would. I did sort of start to get that overwhelmed feeling again, but I think I've kind of landed in a good place with it right now. So hopefully the episode will help do that for you listening as well. And Casey, you mentioned that you have previously done composting as well. And obviously you have all of this great experience with the garden center and all of that. So I'm excited to kind of talk things out with you and hear your sort of real world experiences with this. I did want to mention too, that I'll be putting a lot of resources actually in our episode description. So if you didn't notice, we switched it up a little bit last week with the cheetah episode. So you can now find a lot of links and resources directly in our episode descriptions. So make sure you check that out and I'll be including some links for this one as well. Yeah. And I do want to like put an asterisk on <laughs> my experience because I don't want anyone to misinterpret like real world experience to expert because we've said it a million times. We are not experts and 
I think actually my status as a very severely not expert on this should hopefully help take down the barriers for you to feel intimidated by composting. So I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, yes, that thank you for clarifying, but that's exactly what I mean is somebody who's not, you know, you don't have a, like an extensive homestead farming operation. You are just somebody who has done this in your backyard. And I feel like that's what people need to, to hear more of. So let's talk about it and let's start from the very beginning. We're going to talk about what composting is what compost is and why is composting something that we might want to consider doing. So composting, basically the probably most common description you'll read about it is that composting is recycling organic material. This is, it's really a natural thing. Stuff's going to break down in the environment. Organic material is going to break down. So composting is just a way of using this process and kind of actively trying to help break down these organic materials that we produce. And it's basically turning these materials into this really nutrient rich fertilizer that we can use to uh, help improve the quality of our soil, basically. So there was definitely a time that I didn't really consider composting something that I should or needed to do because I'm, as I've said before, I'm not a gardener. I don't do plants. I don't do a lot of landscaping. I don't have a garden, don't even have any house plants, anything like that. So I just didn't think that this was a thing that I needed to do. What has gotten me into the idea of composting is the food waste aspect, which Casey did a couple of great podcast episodes on food waste. So we touched on composting there, but composting can be a great way to divert some of that organic material that we are throwing away uh, from the landfill so we can make better use of that. And Casey, this is something that we touched on briefly before, but let's do it here as well. Since we talked about organic material is going to break down anyway, what's the difference? Why would we want to compost our materials? How is composting different than sending our food waste, our yard waste, whatever to a landfill? So it has to do, I would say two different elements that I think are important. So first has to do with the emissions that actually come out of food waste. So anytime You might think no matter where I throw my food, it will break down because it's organic material. It's not like plastic that'll hang around forever. It's just going to eventually decompose. But the bacteria and the decomposers that decompose that food are different if it is in a landfill where it's buried in a bunch of stuff. What happens then is certain bacteria that basically operate without a lot of oxygen in the decomposing process are breaking it down and that produces a lot of methane, which if you're not familiar with methane, that is a particularly potent greenhouse gas along with some carbon dioxide as well. When you do it in a composting system, there is oxygen involved and it has much less of those methane emissions. Um, It's much less of a issue when it comes to things like climate change. I think the second part of that though, is that when you think about a forest and you think about the trees are up there and the leaves fall off in the fall and then those leaves break down into the soil, then the nutrients from those leaves helps feed the trees again. 
that is also what composting allows us to do. When you send it to a landfill, those nutrients are not going into a usable place, into something that would be productive. That second half basically is if you're making it into a compost, even if you're not using it personally, you can also offer it to friends and family who do some sort of gardening, or you can even just work it into your lawn and not worry about, you know, having to add extra fertilizer, these synthetic nutrients. It's all part of that natural process. And it's a good way to be able to keep those nutrients cycling. You used the word recycling earlier and and it got me off on this little tailspin, which was basically like, I kind of hate the word recycling because we use it in, (laughs) we use it in so many ways. Like recycling a plastic bottle is a extremely different (laughs) process than nutrient cycling, even though like those are both at like perfectly acceptable ways to use the word recycling, but it's, I think, so hard sometimes for us to conceptualize what happens to the things that we use and then dispose of, whether that's in the garbage can or in the recycling can. And one of the things I like about composting is that you get to see exactly what happens to it. So that is one of the pros to it. And you should definitely compost. Anyway, continue. I'm just going to say this <laughs> repeatedly throughout this episode. I love it. Yeah. You hit on a, a number of things that we'll, we'll talk about as well, but yeah. So the, the anaerobic versus aerobic, no oxygen versus oxygen conditions is, is one of the big things that makes composting different than throwing your organic materials in into a landfill. So you're going to reduce those methane emissions for sure. You could also look at it as freeing up space as well. So when we throw those materials into a landfill, they are, well, yes, they are going to eventually break down. They are still taking up some space that other things could use that aren't going to break down. And obviously if we're filling up our landfills, we're having to find more places to put our trash and we don't want to keep doing that. Go watch the movie Wally. Uh, <laughs> um, so lots of reasons to get into composting. According to the EPA here in the United States, food scraps and yard waste make up over 30% of the trash that we throw out. So again, if we can divert that much of our waste going to a landfill, that's only going to be uh, beneficial. And it has been shown to help. Um, NRDC, National Resources Defense Council, cites uh, San Francisco as a location that's established a large-scale composting program. And so they started back in 96, and they said by the year 2000, San Francisco was diverting 50% of its wastes from landfills due to composting. And they've continued to improve that over the years. It says they've been diverting more than 80% of their waste from landfills since the year 2012. So that's pretty impressive and exciting to read about stats like that. So you could be a small part of that wherever you're living. Yeah. I want you guys to like imagine what you currently put in the garbage. Like I, I kind of compare that between like what we put in the garbage at my work is actually a lot of like packaging and things, but mm-hmm. in my actual home garbage, it is not a lot of food now because we do compost, but a fair amount of food, like cat litter and poop (laughs) and then like packaging for food there's not that many other things that we we throw out so if you can recycle more of that and then you can divert your food waste it means you have to take out your garbage way less and it's very nice it's very nice Casey you also touched a little bit on 
a lot of the benefits of composting. So there are these environmental benefits for doing it. It, in addition to the emissions and the space, composting is also just going to overall improve your soil quality. So where I live now, soil is extremely sandy, but even if, whether you have that or you have more of a clay-like soil, mixing your compost in is going to improve the quality and structure of your soil. It's going to, again, make it more nutrient rich. It also acts as a buffer for pH. It helps to improve the water retention of your soil. So lots of soil benefiting reasons that I'm not educated enough in to understand fully how it all works, but lots of great soil benefits. It's going to reduce the, your need for chemical fertilizers, like Casey mentioned. And then also one of the things that you've talked about with composting before, Casey, is just that personal investment and satisfaction. You actually get to see this process work, and I am really excited about that. You kind of get to feel that sort of personal ownership of it, that you've contributed to something and you get to kind of see nature in, in action as well. Lots of different ways that you can use it as well, because again, this was one of the hangups for me. I don't garden. What do I do with this? So you can kind of use compost as a mulch, for lack of a better word, um, putting it in a, a couple of inch layers around any landscaping trees, plants that you do have in your yard. You can DIY your own potting mix. So this house I bought, the previous owners left behind a lot of pots. So I'm going to try my hand at potting some plants and I'll be able to use my composting for that. Uh, if you are one who gardens, you can use your compost in like as you're actually planting new plants uh, for the season, when you're digging those holes to uh, put your plants in, you can actually bed those with a little bit of compost as well. I've read that folks will actually use this as a top dressing just for their lawn as well. So you can sprinkle some just across your lawn, even if you don't have any plants. You can also find places to donate. Casey, you mentioned, you know, giving it to your family, friends, that sort of thing. You may have organizations within your city or your city government as well. Sometimes we'll have compost where you can either drop off, straight drop off your food waste or you can donate compost too as well. So lots of different ways that you can use it. And I think Casey, I don't know if you know this or not, that compost can be stored for a while as well. Do you know? I want to say. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to go with yes, because uh, if you go to your independent garden center and you're like, I want to start a garden, what are your pieces of advice for me, most of them are going to recommend some sort of soil amendment because in suburban areas, most likely to build your house, they were running over it with a bunch of bulldozers. They, you know, the soil is not high quality. So you'd have to buy basically compost. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is a great way to save money. And, um, and so like Sarah said, that it's got lots and lots of different applications within your, your yard that if you were let's say growing your own food, because we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, this would be a way to save lots of money on having to buy either those fertilizers or buy, all this, buy the soil amendment that they would recommend that you use anyway. Um, and we sell compost in bags. So I would think that your compost at home 
also would be able to be stored for a long time. Yeah. And you can also, what we're going to talk about some ways that you can compost. So you can sort of choose your method in part based on how much compost you want to produce and how quickly. So even if you're like, well, I could use some compost, but I'm not going to need a whole bunch of it all the time. The, the method that you choose can help you out with that as well. So let's get to that. Let's talk about how we're actually going to compost now that we know why we want to do it. So we're going to talk about the, the composting ingredients. So I'm going to touch on a few different ways that you can compost tonight, but for the most part, they are all going to require the same materials to make this happen. So Casey, what is, what is the composting recipe? What are our ingredients for composting? Just kind of basically. Sure. So let's start with like what you guys are probably thinking of, which is dumping a bunch of food in your backyard. Mm -hmm. um, so let's start with food scraps. It's typically food that is plant-based. So we're talking about fruits and veggies. Sometimes you can even do like breads, coffee grounds, even eggshells, which might not be the same exact category as this, but you can use those. And then anything from your yard that's like plants. So your grass clippings, your leaves, your weeds that you've been pulling out of your garden, all of those can also be composted. And that's a good way to think about like those weeds. We often call these greens in your composting bin. So um, they are something that typically has a lot of moisture in it. They are organic and they're gonna break down, but they do have a water content. And then you compare that to some of the other things, which are the browns. Um, and browns tend to be more dry. So this is actually probably more of your dry leaves sawdust. I'm now reading off of Sarah's outline <laughs> um, provided for us. Um, I've used like uh, shredded paper, yeah, shredded newspaper, cardboard, although I don't recommend putting it down in like a flat like layer necessarily. You want to tear it up. Really like when you're doing this, the more that you make things in smaller pieces, the faster they're going to break down. Um, but greens and browns are the two types of organic materials that you're really adding to the compost that you can think of as like the fuel and basically what ends up being the compost in the end is those things all broken down. But then you also need things to add to those to actually break them down. Like this doesn't actually happen just like if you were to put them in space and they would just like break down, right? Yeah, it won't happen in a vacuum. So you need those microbes basically. So you have smaller invertebrates as well as insects and things like that that are going to help break these things down. So I think of it as just like providing some some home and some fuel for these little yeah. microbes there. So you want them to have their sort of optimal conditions in order to get things to break down as effectively as possible. So yeah, Casey gave yeah. us a great overview of those organic materials. Go ahead, Casey. I was just going to say, and you don't have to add those, like you can add those but like, oh, yeah. they, they're there. They're there. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're there. You're, you're just giving them food, like Sarah said, in a home. Yes. So yeah, you can start if you, I mean, you can just throw a handful of soil in the middle of your compost. They do have things like compost tea or like other things that you can, if you want to like jumpstart uh, with some more microorganisms in your compost, you can, but no, yeah, if, if you're 
putting your things out there in a pile or in a bin. You've got the microbes taken care of. You're just providing the things that they need. So Casey gave us an overview of those greens and browns. Your greens are sometimes called wet materials, uh, but basically the greens are, it's not really that everything in this category is green. They are just more, have more moisture and they are nitrogen rich materials. So like Casey said, that's going to be your food waste, your grass clippings, your leaf trimmings, those sorts of things are going to be those greens or nitrogen rich materials. And then you're going to have your browns, which are sometimes called dry materials. These are going to be your carbon rich materials. So yes, your dry fall leaves, sticks, twigs, those sorts of things. If you've got sawdust laying around, I sure don't. Uh, th that would be browns. This was another potential hurdle for me for composting. I was like, I'm not going to have enough browns. I really just want to get rid of my food waste, but you can because of things like Casey mentioned, shredded paper, shredded cardboard, even things like paper towel tubes, toilet paper tubes, those types of things. Instead of recycling those, you can also save those up and use them for your compost. You are going to need water for those microbes as well, though there's a lot of different info out there on composting. One of the things that I found to be most consistent was that your compost should have the consistency of a wrung out sponge. <laughs> so you may need to have, uh, if you've got a hose handy or um, a watering can or something like that, that is a way that you can help to optimize your compost by adding some water in there. And then oxygen as well. We mentioned we want this to be an aerobic process. We want there to be oxygen present. So that's why you'll read about needing to turn your compost every once in a while to add in that oxygen. And really what composting is all about is just trying to find the optimum balance between these ingredients to make a good home for your microbes and break things down faster. So Casey, before we jump into a few different types of composting, how do you compost either right now or in the past? Like what's your process? How do you have it set up? Sure. So uh, let's go within the past because right now it's literally dump them in the backyard because we Fair have enough. a lot of acreage. Yeah. But when we lived in more of like a urban area where houses are close together, you can't really just like dump just eggshells, <laughs> everything mm -hmm. everywhere in your backyard. So what we would do is I talked about in, in a former episode about how I've got a compost bin that I really, really love that we um, bought off the internet. And as we are chopping veggies, as we're breaking eggs, we just toss them in there and it's nice because it closes enough if you end up piling it up too much and the lid pops up, it will get smelly. So you can't <laughs> let it go that long. But then once, once I got full enough, we would take it out to the backyard. And actually Kristen, who was our uh, guest host last week had actually given us her compost bin. Nice. Yeah. So thanks Kristen for that. It wasn't necessarily my ideal size compost bin, but it was the exact jumpstart that I needed to actually compost. So um, it was probably three feet tall by like 18 inches by two feet. So it was a little too small to be what we're going to talk about later, like a hot composting bin. It was a little bit, um, it doesn't allow for that heat buildup quite as much, but it's kind of chicken wire on the sides and it had a lid and that's basically all we really needed. And so we started throwing food scraps in there and 
my process was not very scientific because when you try and read resources online about like the composition of your compost, you will find every number, every like ratio of numbers for wet and greens out there. So I tried not to get too bogged down in that. Andrew would rake all of our leaves towards that area. And so if it got kind of smelly or it looked like that's a lot of food, and basically every time we dumped it in there, I would either put like ripped up junk mail or throw some dry leaves onto the compost bin. And we really didn't have any problems with stink or even really any um, pests. There were occasionally some flies and that's when we didn't put enough of what would be the browns on it to try and I kind of think of it as like absorbing the moisture. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while, Andrew would just like put a shovel in there and turn it. So it wasn't the most efficient because it was sort of open air because the chicken wire, it got enough moisture in there just from rain, Mm -hmm. which was really nice. And it made it really low maintenance, but we didn't try and get bogged down in the science too much because it was still doing all the things we really wanted it to do. It wasn't necessarily the most efficient way to compost because it took probably a good year to get some actual compost out of the bottom of it. I know there's ways to do it faster, but by the time we did, we spread it onto the garden where I was growing food. So it was great. That's awesome. And would you just, you would just continually add to the pile. You didn't really stop adding ever. And then would you just pull from the bottom or would you let your pile sit for a year? And were you were you not composting during that time or did you have a second pile or anything like that? Great question. Kristen had installed this little like panel at the bottom that you could lift up and like scrape the bottom of the compost out. And then that was sort of our finished compost material. We didn't end up like when we move into our own home, provided that we have enough space, we hope to have kind of the multi-bin system. But for this, we really just like had that ability to open up the bottom slat and then just like take it out. Um, but we continued to add to it basically the whole time and mostly turned like the top fish layer. Yeah, that's great. So that that's a fantastic picture that I think actually is really going to be the summary of everything that we talk about. So I love hearing that. And that actually gives me a lot of uh, encouragement to get started doing this because so we are going to jump in to talk about a few different ways that you can compost In my mind, though, they are all really the same process. And even though I'm going to talk about them in categories, it almost feels a little bit more like a spectrum and sort of what you described, Casey, as well. So listen to these types. You get kind of a grasp on what each of them are. But then I think, like Casey said, is you you just you jump in and you start doing it. And you figure out what's going to work for you. But let's let's talk about these ways, uh, these things that you you'll find if you do some research on composting. The first method is what's called hot composting. You might also hear this called batch composting or fast composting, because the idea behind this is to get these optimal conditions to help your materials materials break down as quickly as possible. And this process is going to generate heat your pile can get up to as much as 160 degrees. Ideally, you're shooting for a 110 to 140 degree range and you can get 
thermometers that you can stick in your compost pile, which I think would just be fun to know, uh, but, but certainly not required to do. But again, you're just trying to create the perfect little home for the microorganisms to do their work. So Casey mentioned the size of hers. Typically what you'll see people recommend if you do want to do hot composting is to have either a pile or a bin that's about three feet by three feet by three feet. And that's just to make sure that you, your pile is big enough to generate that heat. Uh, Y'all couldn't see me when Casey was talking and mentioning like all of the plethora of different numbers and ratios that you'll find if you research composting 100%. Yes, there were so many different ratios out there. Mostly, it seems like if you're trying to do hot composting, people will recommend about a two to one ratio of browns to greens. But then you talk to people who actually do it and they're like, yeah, I just kind of guesstimate based on what I've got. And if it's not, not heating up, then I'll adjust the ratio. So it, yeah, it, it, that's what you're kind of sort of shooting for, but also it doesn't really matter. Just do it and troubleshoot from there. So with hot composting, the idea is that it's going to produce compost more quickly for you. So if that's something that's important to you, you can consider hot composting. Other benefits of hot composting are that that heat is going to make it safer. And by that, I mean that it's going to help to break down any uh, or eliminate any pathogens. If you have any diseased plants or anything like that get, that gets added to your compost or like weed seeds and things like that, that heat is going to help destroy some of those to make it a little safer if you're spreading it around. And that heat can also be a discouragement for pests who might try to make a home in your composting. And, and then it, it'll produce a larger volume of compost simply because um, where that batch composting comes in is that ideally, if you are doing hot composting, you would build a pile or fill your bin and then stop adding to it. So you would kind of create your pile all at once let it kind of generate, build up that heat. You're going to turn it or aerate it pretty regularly and it's going to break down quickly. While you're doing that, you would have another location that you would continue adding compost to or adding your materials to, to build another pile. So in theory, you're doing this in batches. It does seem to me <laughs> that a, a lot of systems are created to do, Casey, more what you were doing, uh, where you can continually add in that compost is going to generate um, down at the bottom. And it seems like you can still generate heat that way. So it may not be as optimal and as fast as if you were doing it in the batch method, uh, but it seems like there's a little bit of wiggle room there. But that's why we say that it, it produces a larger volume of, of compost at once, because in a perfect world, you are doing that batch method. The drawbacks to hot composting is if you are really specifically trying, trying to stick to the book here, it is going to require a little more maintenance in terms of monitoring that temperature, making sure that you're turning it regularly, making sure that you do have all of your materials uh, balanced and, and all of those things. So it's a it tends to be considered a little more labor intensive if you're truly trying to go for that hot composting. Yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, also space is another element of mm -hmm. it because you need not just a three foot by three foot by three foot space, but you kind of need two of those. Mm -hmm. So that is 
like we were considering building our compost bin out of pallets, which is kind of a, a common way that people will do it because it's cheap and it's about the right size, um, but it is a decent amount of space that you would need if you have a small yard. And again, that is, especially if you are going to go fully down that line, there is also something called the warm composting that we'll get to in a minute that it to me feels like a very similar thing, except you're not necessarily doing that, that batch method. But so flip side of hot composting, you've got cold composting, also called continuous composting or slow composting. So this is where you just kind of throw your stuff out there in a pile and you let it do its thing. It is at, at its heart. That's what cold composting is. So obviously that's pretty easy. You don't really, uh, you're not really thinking about those ratios and all of that. Obviously that's going to take longer, a year, two years, some sites say, again, it really depends on what your conditions are. The drawbacks to this is it's not going to destroy those pathogens or seeds like we talked about with hot composting, might be more likely to attract pests. So that was actually the deterrent for me. We all know I'm not a yard work person, so you tell me the easiest method, and that tends to be what I want to do. So this is initially, I was like, yeah, man, cold composting, let's do it. But uh, because I do live in Florida now and pests are an issue, I don't think that I can go straight cold composting. So I don't think that this is going to be my route, but if you don't want to invest a lot of time or energy or maybe as much space and you're not in a big hurry to get a lot of compost, this might be a thing that you can try. Again, this is a natural process. So if you do just have a space on, on your property to put your stuff out there and see what happens, go for it. I feel like cold composting is also pretty it's more suited for people who maybe live by themselves as well, because you're not building up like as the batch composting. Yeah. you really have to build up a fairly big pile to be able to get that. And Andrew and I really didn't exceed other than maybe our leaves didn't all make it into the compost pile. Like we would just add those when we wanted to, we, with food waste, we never exceeded the size of our compost bin before we actually had compost to take out. So um, so there's that. And I will also say that you can still add weeds to cold compost. Mm-hmm. You just have to add them before they go to seed. So if you start to see like that flowering and you start to see seeds from those weeds, then you don't really want to put them in there. Cause if you add it back to your garden, you're just adding weeds to your garden. Yeah. So then there is some, not every resource that you find is going to even talk about this, but I did find at least a few times this idea of warm composting mentioned, which again, just feels like the middle route to me. They say you shoot for a little more of a 50-50 ratio between your greens and your browns. You're still going to need to water it and turn it, but you're maybe not paying as much attention to it as you would if you were going full on hot batch composting. And I think this is where I am going to end up. So I'm going to continue this thought, but also jump down to talk about containers as well. So when you do any of these methods, this hot, cold, or warm, at least as far as my understanding is, you could do 
any of these three methods in open piles if you want to. So if you have the space, it's not going to bother your neighbors. It's not going to bother you to just look at this pile of stuff. You can just make open piles directly on the ground. You can DIY your own container of some sort doesn't even really have to be a container. It could just be sort of an enclosed fence area that you're throwing this in, or you can purchase ready-made containers. So if you go the container method of an enclosed bin or a tumbler, that's going to help you because those are going to provide some insulation and help to generate some heat. So I think that that's where I'm going to end up is probably going to be doing this kind of warm composting method. And I think that I'm going to go the tumbler route. That's my dream. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Andrew's like, so downside to tumbler, if you've never seen them, they're basically like a barrel on their side up on legs that you then can like crank and turn them. And it just looks again, very satisfying to me even though you don't have to turn them very often, it just still seems like a fun uh, idea. But Andrew pointed out that that is plastic. Yes. That you would be using when we were currently using a system that was basically reusing something someone else had built. And then this was like our ideal situation with pallets would be reusing materials that were already purposed for something else. But I do love the idea, especially because we hadn't accomplished the hot uh, composting of like putting it in a container and mm-hmm. being able to, it just seems very attractive to me. Yeah. So we'll see. There are other drawbacks to the tumblers in terms of, you know, I've read about some breaking and things like that, just in terms of maintenance, but uh, there are different types. A lot of them are on legs. There are some now that kind of sit on their own, like pedestal sort of. So they're not actually up on legs, but you can still spin them. So there's lots of different kinds. There are some, I totally get the the plastic, the feeling about the plastic. There are some that are, I found that are made from recycled materials. So that's something at least, but I think for me, that's going to provide the, the best fit for what I have in terms of helping to keep pests out, helping to generate some of that heat giving me enough room to add some things, but not being such of such a huge size because it is just me um, to be able to provide enough material for that, that compost. So that's where I'm going to go. I did find one resource that I'll link to in our episode description that has a little chart that kind of based on where you live, how much space you have, what materials you're looking to compost, that kind of helps you narrow in on what type of composting might work best for you. And it did actually take me to Tumblr as well. So I was like, yes, I I made a right decision. So, uh, but again, the beauty of this is you can try something and if it's not working for you, you can simply adjust your practices until it does work for you. So don't get too hung up on any one of these things. I know we're already going to start to run long here. So I'm going to try to sort of bring us to the end relatively quickly. Again, we will have more on composting coming in the coming weeks, but If you don't want to do one of those methods that we've already talked about, something else that you could think about is vermicomposting. Casey, what's vermicomposting? Worms. Worms. 
yeah, so this is using worms to help break down those materials. Part of me really wants to do this. <laughs> I really want to do it successfully, but I do have a story of doing it badly. Uh-oh. So do you remember the Nature Center yes. back at our old job? So the Nature Center was a space that was focused on native species, more towards younger kids. And so we had a compost bin in there. And I believe that we stopped using it prior to your arrival, Sarah. But basically it was a vermiculture bin and it had like these different layers stacked up and you would add your food to it and the worms would eat it, which was very satisfying. Um, but soon after I started at uh, our old workplace, several of my coworkers went on to new jobs. And so there wasn't enough attention being paid to this worm compost area. And I think the worms got so hungry that they started climbing out of the bin and coming out and like onto the counters, onto the floor. I think that they were seeking out like this home has no food anymore. We have to go seek better lands, but there was no lands. There was a lot of dead worms. Oh no. This This is not trying to like scare anybody entirely out of it but I would say it didn't work in the system that we had, which was neglect. So (laughs) it seems like a system. I mean, this, to be fair, it was at work where like you only eat maybe lunch and you may or may not have something that's compost worthy versus at home where we're constantly coming up with compost scraps, but um, neglectful composters might find dead worms trying to migrate to more fruitful lands. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know how I never heard that story before. That's <laughs> hilarious. Um, yes, you do have to feed your worms for this to work, but it seems that other than that, vermicomposting, I'm surprised at how low maintenance Yeah, it really is. So, so feed your worms, make sure they've got a good container and feed them. And you should be good. Um, This is something that's not going to smell or anything like that and can actually be done indoors. So if you are someone who's like, man, I live in an apartment, I don't even have a patio. Vermicomposting is something that you can do. Again, there are specially made bins that you can buy or there's lots of instruction out there on how to DIY one for yourself. But basically that's what you do. You provide bedding and then you use your food scraps to feed the worms and they are going to eat those scraps and poop it out for you basically and give you some nice, uh, good compost there in the bottom. And you can have these kind of stacked bins so that that, that really is what happens. The compost will get sort of pushed to the bottom and then the worms can migrate up and you, so if you're sort of squeamish about the worms, you really can manage it so that you hardly have to interact with them other than initially putting them in and dropping your food scraps in. They're just going to do their thing and hide in their bedding and you can collect the compost out of of the bottom. This isn't going to be one that's going to do obviously huge volumes and take care of all your yard waste if you're mowing a big lawn or something like that. But if you are looking for a small enclosed place to drop your food scraps, think about vermicompost. It, it really is like, it was amazing to be able to like lift up the lid the next day and be like, the apple is smaller. Yeah. Like it, you can visibly, if you're looking for that personal satisfaction factor, 
vermiculture might be where you're looking at if you're like someone who likes instant gratification I really like that and if you are a gardener you may have heard the the tales of earthworm castings which are like a highly sought after thing that people will pay for compost with earthworm castings I don't know exactly what makes them so special but basically if a worm poops it out gardeners want it for their their, yeah for their (laughs) soil um so you will have high quality things to add to either your garden or your friend's garden if you've got a gardener in your life and you're like (laughs) happy birthday here's some earthworm casting (laughs) if they're like really into gardening they're gonna be excited (laughs) so I think that's a great great gift yeah I I worm poop (laughs) I Part of me really wants to do it, but I, I do know that here in Florida, it would probably be better to, to do indoors. You can also have a do vermicomposting outdoors, but you don't want it to get too hot for them. So I would probably have to do it indoors. And I just struggle with, I just, I can't get behind. I just don't want a worm bin sitting out in my living room. <laughs> so you truly like you could truly do this without even your roommates knowing, like yeah, you not could. to advocate being sneaky, but like you could, yeah. They're it would small. look like a rubbermaid Tim like bin, yep. like yeah. You, you could put you it could under the it. sink. You you sure could. I there's I just haven't quite talked myself into it yet, but it is an option for you. And in fact, the the last two I'm gonna talk about real quick here are also good options if you have a small space or indoor only space. The the next one is called Bokashi. I hope I'm saying that correctly. This is not really true composting, but it gets brought up a lot in types of composting. So I wanted to at least mention it here, but this is really an anaerobic fermentation process. So this is another way to to handle your kitchen scraps. Uh, Does not have the same, doesn't release greenhouse gases. So I guess the fermentation process is different than sort of the anaerobic decomposition process, but basically you just need an airtight bucket and there's this Bokashi bran that you have to get started and you put it in and you add your food scraps and you let it ferment and then you can put that out. Apparently you Another reason it's not true composting, you could put this out in your compost pile then and let it break down further. But I believe you can also just deposit those contents directly into your soil as well. So you can look that up if you're interested in in a, another small space, uh, the Bakashi anaerobic fermentation there. And then I wanted to at least mention, I haven't looked into these a whole lot, but there are now a couple, I think, of what we'll call electric composters out on the market. So if you're like, man, I would like to do something with my food scraps, but I really just don't think I can handle composting. I'm still a little intimidated by it, whatever. If none of those other options work for you, this might be a good indoor option for you. Not really composting. Once again, there's not, there aren't any microorganisms involved, but this is like, uh, what's it called? The Lomi is the one. Yeah. I get targeted ads for this all the time. It's also because I have like, I don't really understand how it works. Yeah. It's like, oh, you plug it in, it heats it up. Oh, and you have dirt. And it just seems like I'm missing something in this process. And I don't understand like how much energy does it take to 
like because it's electricity to operate this system like how much greenhouse gases basically are we offsetting if that's your primary motivation for for composting yeah and i did i apologize for not having more on hand right now on this i have looked at that before i don't believe that it uses a lot of electricity like i think it's they were saying it's I, I'm not even going to say because I will quote it wrong, but I, I don't think it was a large amount of electricity, but it does still bother me a little bit that like, yeah, here is this thing that we could be doing naturally. And now we're going to make a device for it, but it does break down your food scraps. And it, it, I think there's a couple of different ways that you can run it could be as little as a few hours that it breaks down in and you can put that right out uh, into your soil. It's get, not going to be as beneficial as actually composting, but it will still provide those nutrients. So it's a thing that you can look into. I'll try to have a little more information on that for our next episode as well. So you can see if that's something that might uh, work for you, but I did want to at least throw it out there that those exist. And then the last thing that I'll mention, you you touched on this earlier, there are compost delivery services available depending on where you live. Your city might even have something. Um, I know in the city of Orlando, I don't know if they still are, but if you were a, a resident in Orlando, Florida, you could actually request quest a free composter, a free composting bin, which is pretty cool. So look and see what your city offers. But even if your city doesn't have any type of composting or food waste pickup service, there are services that will do that. They'll drop off a bucket for you. You can put in your food scraps. They will pick up that bucket. You can leave it at that. Or sometimes they will also bring you compost as well if you want the compost and just don't want to do the composting yourself. Um, So look into what services might be available in your area. It's a lot of things uh, there. And again, that's just kind of scratching the surface. But I think the overall message here is to just jump in and give it a try. (laughs) There is so much out there. It really can feel overwhelming, especially if you're just starting out, but it's a natural process. You really can't mess it up. That doesn't mean that you're not going to maybe run into some issues. And that is kind of what we'll talk about in our next episode. But it seems like there's almost always going to be something that you can easily do to adjust your process to solve those issues. So don't let the fear keep you from getting started. I will say there, there, I'll, I'll post a lot of these resources and especially this one, my favorite resource that I found is from compostingguide.com. It is unsurprisingly titled the lazy gardener's guide to composting. (laughs) That's why it's my favorite. And that's basically the message of this article They say composting can be almost as easy as eating bonbons while watching TV. Uh, So they're basically telling you all of this information that you need and then telling you not to worry about it. So give it a try. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about this many times, but composting is one of my favorite green things to do. Like when we're talking about impact, like one of the biggest things you can do is, for example, eat a plant-based diet versus eating a lot of meat, but, um, not eating meat doesn't feel like a, 
like an active thing that I'm like the absence of something mm-hmm. doesn't feel as much like the like activity of doing something yeah. composting by like visibly seeing how much stuff I have diverted from a landfill not taking out my stinky garbage all the time that my dog tries to break into amazing and I end up with like something I can see and I I I just find it so fulfilling and I hope that other people out here will find this episode the little push that they needed to just just try it just whatever little area of their life they can do it to try it so yeah hopefully we didn't scare you we just made you feel empowered and you can you can do the thing (laughs) yeah hopefully listening wasn't overwhelming because again all, all of that stuff is just giving you the info and now I'm gonna tell you what that article told me, which is not to worry about it. And if you stick around in our wrap up tonight, I'm gonna give you a couple of challenges to help you further along in your composting journey. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for listening tonight. I hope you enjoyed our challenges this week. I'm basically going to have you come along on this journey with me. This is my thing for the year. So I'm going to be doing this at some point. I can't say, I don't know when exactly I'm going to start, but I am going to start at some point this year. So if you would like to make this your thing this year as well, even if you're not sure yet, you can still do these challenges. First one is to check and see what your local resources are. So see if there is a food waste drop-off location or see if there's a compost delivery service in your area. See what your city resources are. See what companies are out there around you just so that you know what your options are. If you're spoiled Californian, like, and you're you should be taking advantage of these things. Also, if you live in another country where this is something that people do already, we want to hear about it because we're very like, obviously America centric because that's where we live and operate almost all of our time. So, um, so we don't know what's out there. So let us know what's going on. If, uh, if you've got those available to you in other places. Yeah. I did watch a couple of resources, a couple of videos, like one of the Oh, this is terrible because now I can't remember where she was from, but I did watch some videos. uh, Specifically, there was one on vermicomposting from somebody who was somewhere in Europe. I can't remember where. Um, So yeah, let us know what what is kind of typical in your part of the world for sure. And then my second challenge for you is to go ahead and decide what method or what your bin or what location you're going to do your composting in. So again, you don't necessarily have to say, I'm definitely going to do hot composting or cold, but try to just decide what your starting pathway is going to be. So what type of pile am I going to have? Where am I going to put this? What type of container am I going to get? See if you can determine those kind of starting points for yourself. You don't have to buy anything yet. You don't have to get it out there. Just start to create a plan in your head so that this can feel more like a real thing. I'm excited. I hope some other folks out there start composting with me because we can start a beginning beginners compost support group. (laughs) Okay, well, I have the Veteran Composters Association to give our Beast Mode Challenge to for the week. Do it. 
Okay, so you're already composting. It's fun. You've already evangelized to all your friends about the miracle of composting. Here's the next step. If you have a workplace or a church group or a club that you go to and spend time with and they don't have composting, I want you to start thinking about and talking to other like-minded people or if you've got a green team, bring it up how to best compost at your workplace religious group, et cetera, because that's something that I would like to implement at our workplace. And I am, know that there's a lot of logistics moving from someplace where like we had started one at our last workplace, but everyone was like conservation minded. So it was a very easy, like, okay, <laughs> as at least as far as like a behavioral change for the people who were composting, I'm sure there was lots of complications for the logistics, but I'm now working at a place where that's not everybody's priority. So figuring out a way to effectively communicate how to compost, where we're going to put it, how we're going to best manage it. Those are things that I'm going to be working on this year, hopefully. So if you are already in the veterans of composting association, and then it's your job to then move on up. We're climbing the ladder. We're making community (laughs) impact. We're creating this, this conservation effort together. So um, so that's your beast mode challenge. If you've already accomplished task number one and two. Awesome. Thanks, Casey. I'm really excited now. So I'm going to try to hold on to this enthusiasm as I try to really actually finalize my decisions and get started here. So thanks for joining me as always. Such a pleasure to be back doing this again. You were so I'm sure I'm speaking for the listeners right now, but we're happy to have you back. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for listening, everyone. As always, if you have thoughts, feedback, questions, comments, suggestions, ideas for future episodes, we always love to hear from you. You've got we've got a few ways that you can reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for a little greener podcast. You can find us at Instagram at a little greener pod, and you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com with whatever you want to talk to us about. And we want to hear from you. So thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you next week. Bye.